Sometimes you just need an empathetic ear to help you sort out the issues that are happening in your own life. Perhaps a forum of others just like you and guest experts who are helping them and can help you. This is that place. Welcome to Life Happens. Let's talk. Your host is Trina Wines. Fill your cup of coffee this morning and have a seat. What you're going to hear in the next hour is going to be amazing. Now, here is Trina Wines. Good morning, everyone, to Life Happens Let's Talk. I am your host, Trina Wines. And to learn more about me, you can go on my website at trinawines.ca. So that's Trina with two E's and Wines is W-Y-N-E-S. Or you could connect with me on Twitter at Moody Foods. If you are a first-time listener, wherever you may be listening in from, this show is about resilience, life lessons, and overcoming life challenges. As I always say, and I've said on the show before, is that we will never leave this world unscathed. Life happens to all of us. But these challenging circumstances always provides us lessons of some kind. I think we can agree to that. They may even land us where we are really meant to be moving us on to our next chapter. So today we are going to talk about trailblazing. Being a trailblazer, if you are either one or know of one, you will know that it is not for the faint of heart. When you are entering into uncharted waters, you are often met with criticism, resistance and hostility from others and maybe, well, actually often, um, even jealousy. Trailblazers often see the world differently. They see the gaps that need to be filled, injustices that need to be reconciled, and opportunities when others are blind to them. Although today's show is on trailblazing and it's going to relate to uh, equality in sports, it certainly can be applied to many, many situations where there is discrimination and equality. So I want to leave lots of time, so I'm not going to keep rambling on about it, but uh, because I have a very special guest today who I'm very excited to have with me on my show is Shannon Miller. And when you hear her story uh, and about her achievements and what she has endured trying to fight for equality in women's hockey and coaching, you will certainly agree she is a trailblazer. So welcome, Shannon. Good morning, Trina, and to your listeners. Well, thank you for being here. So I'm not going to run through my your bio because I am just going to let you do that honor because it is uh, just, you're packed full of accomplishments. So saying that, you have done so much in groundbreaking work in relations to women's sports. So can you give us a summary of what you feel your major accomplishments are? Yeah, I sure can, Trina. Um, Some of my major accomplishments would be I got my bachelor's degree in Canada, very proudly at the University of Saskatchewan, and I played in one of the first ever University of Saskatchewan Husky at hockey teams, lettering in college hockey. So that's one of my early accomplishments and one of my proudest moments. Later, I had moved to the United States, and I received a bachelor's degree from the University of Minnesota. But backing up and going back to Saskatchewan, while still living in Saskatchewan, I played for Team Saskatchewan, representing my province at many Canadian national championships. Now, there was no Team Canada back in that day, but trust me on this one, I wouldn't have made it anyway. Then I moved to Calgary and became a police officer in 1988. Another proud moment uh, in my life, I was one of 12 women on the Calgary Police Force that had approximately 1,200 officers at that time. So I did face a lot of uh, sexism and homophobia, as you can imagine, being one of only 12 women on the Calgary Police Department at that time. Then, while still being a police officer, myself and two other women, we started the first ever girls hockey team in Calgary. And that was fun, because we played in the Calgary Minor Hockey League, and it was all boys teams. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later because we did uh, also face a lot of uh, sexism there, discrimination and homophobia. <clears throat> and I'd like to expand on that a little bit later in your show. While living in Calgary and acting as a police officer, I was an assistant coach for Team Alberta. 
and we won a gold medal at the 1991 Canada Winter Games. That was the biggest accomplishment as a pioneer because that was the first time that girls hockey was included in the Canada Winter Games. Then uh, I was named assistant coach for Team Canada. After winning gold at the Canada Winter Games, I found myself on an airplane flying to Ottawa, being interviewed to become an assistant coach with Team Canada, which was a volunteer position. I got the job. I still resided in Calgary, and the national team was run out of Ottawa, and we won two world championship gold medals uh, when I was an assistant coach. I then took a leave of absence from the police department because people at the Olympic Oval, Kathy Priestner and Jacques Thibault, had this incredible vision, and they wanted to hire me to build the first-ever international high-performance training center for female hockey players and be housed under the Olympic Oval roof at the University of Calgary, just like they were doing for speed skating. So I took a leave of absence, and I built that program from scratch, and that program still exists today. Then I became the head coach of Team Canada, and we won a world championship at 1997 World Championships. We won the gold medal. And then something pretty remarkable happened. Women's hockey was going to be included in the 1998 Winter Olympics. Canada named myself, Shannon Miller, to be the first female head coach for their Olympic hockey team. I was only 33 years old at the time, very young. Mm-hmm. And every other Olympic team, every other country had male head coaches. So we came home with Olympic silver, which was a disappointment for us because we were striving for gold but we had just won three world championship gold medals, and then we won Olympic silver. Then I moved to the United States because I got an opportunity to become a professional full-time college coach. And it was a gentleman, actually, that I knew from Calgary and from Hockey Canada that was the new athletic director at the University of Minnesota Duluth. His name was Bob Corn, and he was a new athletic director, and he hired me to move to Duluth work at the University of Minnesota Duluth, and build their first ever women's hockey program. So what I did was I drew on all of my international experience and contacts, and I created the first ever international women's hockey college program in Duluth, recruiting players from many different countries. I was the first to do this and faced, yes, a lot of criticism and jealousy. We won five NCAA championships. And that's at the Division I level, which is the highest level in U.S. college sports. And we won those five national championships, ranging over a period of only 14 years of NCAA play. Now, keep in mind, there's 34 teams. And so we won five of those championships, competing against 34 teams in 14 years, which is certainly far more than our share. It's a huge accomplishment because winning five NCAA Division I national championships is more than any other head coach in college hockey, in men's college hockey or women's hockey, still to this day. And the NCAA uh, first season was 2000-2001, and it still continues today. And also during that 14 years when I was an NCAA coach at the University of Minnesota Duluth, we also had made NCAA postseason play 10 times out of a possible 14. So I do continue to hold the title as the winningest NCAA hockey coach, even though I haven't coached for three years. Because we won those five national championships, I'm very proud to say that we were honored by the President of the United States at the White House five times. Five times, wow. Truly amazing, yes. Each time that you go, it's truly an amazing experience and an honor. Uh, During the 14 years of my NCAA coaching, I produced 26 Olympians from a variety of different countries. And the reason I'm proud of that is it really helped grow the game globally. I was always big into growing the game versus just protecting my own little piece of turf. I've always had that vision of the game is in a growth period. We've got to do what we can to grow the game. On March 26, 2010, Duluth named it Shannon Miller Day and gave me a key to the city. I was pretty excited about that. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, in 2010, I was honored with the YWCA Woman of Distinction Award as well. Then another big honor came my way. I was approached by the International Ice Hockey Federation to help Russia prepare for the 2014 Sochi Olympic Games. 
And so I became a mentor to the Russian women's ice hockey coaches from 2011 to 2014. Uh, they won a world championship bronze medal in 2013. It's the first time they've ever been in a medal game, and they won it. And then they went on to uh, compete in Sochi in 2014. And then lastly, the last accomplishment I'll, I'll mention is, uh, this is a big honor, in t- 2015, I was invited by the United Nations to fly to New York City and speak on gender equity and equal pay, and that was a huge honor. Absolutely. My goodness. So, you know, just hearing, you know, all your accomplishments, um, you know, I'm hearing a lot of firsts. So there's a lot of, you know, things that other people have never done before. A lot of building and developing things that never existed before. And, uh, you know, just really, you know, also knocking those um, barriers down that, you know, those obstacles that are in front of you. But, as you had went through your summary, I mean, we want to talk about later on when we come back from commercial of how you didn't breeze your way through there at all. I mean, there was a lot of resistance along the way. So Shannon, when we come back from commercial, we want to hear about, you know, the things that the challenges that you had to face, uh, not only as a female coach, but also as a um, you know, you are open about being gay as well and the discrimination that you had faced um, during your uh, career. So when we come back from commercial, we'll pick this up. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. This is Life Happens. Let's talk. Would you like to join in to today's conversation? We invite you to call in to share your story, ask a question, or add a comment. Please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email to Trina, her email address is trina at trinawines.ca. Now, back to Life Happens. Let's talk. Well, welcome back, listeners, to Life Happens. Let's talk. Today, my guest is Shannon Miller. So, Shannon, uh, just picking up where we left off, can you talk about how you got into hockey and coaching and what your experience has been as you climbed up the different levels in what you, I guess, I would would see as historically a male-dominated profession? 
Yes, it certainly is. Well, when I was younger, my dad and I would watch NHL hockey all the time. Uh, my two favorite teams were the Detroit Red Wings with Scotty Bowman as the coach and the Chicago Blackhawks. And I was one of those little kids that ran around collecting all the bubblegum cards. And I remember I was pretty fixated on making sure I got all the players from all the teams and eating the bubblegum. My dad was also a high school coach. Um, we lived in Melfort, Saskatchewan, and he coached high school football, high school boys basketball. He coached uh, men's and women's track and field. And I would go with him to the events. I'd go with him to the football field, the basketball court, track and field facility, and I would watch them train and train with them when I was young, with the athletes, and I would go to all of his games. And so I grew really close to my dad. I really looked up to him. He was my hero. Then when I was 13 years old, my dad died. He died of colon cancer, and he left my mom alone to raise four kids on her own. And so as a small family unit like that, we really did become a team. We had to start relying on each other. And I wasn't the oldest, but I think I was the strongest. And so I really stepped up and played a, a major leadership role within my family, basically by the time I was 14 years old. And our whole family loves athletics. We're all very athletic and have competed in sports our whole life. And when I was really young and heading off to university, and you have this thought process, well, what do I want to do with my life? What do I want to be? We all have that if we're fortunate enough to be heading off to college. And all I could think about was, I really want to coach. I really want to coach. And I lived in Canada at the time, and I knew that I couldn't coach for a living. Or I believed at that time I couldn't coach for a living, uh, but I knew I could be a phys ed teacher. So I became a, a phys ed teacher. I got my bachelor's degree at U of S, like I mentioned earlier, and I thought I was going to be a phys ed teacher, but I was going to be a phys ed teacher so that I could coach. And then when I moved to Calgary, I, after I got my degree, I still, it haunted me. It was always nagging at me. You want to coach, you want to coach. You don't necessarily want to be a phys ed teacher. What else could you do with your life, with your degree? And then I decided I've always wanted to help people. And since a young age, I've always been one of the kids that would stand up for kids that were getting picked on in the playground by bullies, uh, whether it was because they said they had fleas or it was a diversity issue or whatever it was. I was the little girl that was in the fist fights, always standing up for somebody else. So I decided, hey, I know what I can do with my life to make it count. I can become a police officer. I can stand up for the good people, put the bad guys in jail, and then I can coach in my spare time. And so that was the path that I deliberately took, and the journey began eventually later. But just to back up again, I was really lucky because in Alfred, Saskatchewan, and a lot of people find this hard to believe because it's unusual and unique, but when I was in grade six, they had a girls' hockey team. They started a girls' hockey team, and we played against other surrounding towns. There was a couple of us that were young. Most of the girls were in high school, so we did play with older girls, and they were our mentors and they were our leaders. And then when I went to U of S, people find this interesting. Um, they had just started a women's hockey team, and I was excited to try out. It was full body checking back in those days. We did not wear visors. And, and you know what I mean, the face shield on the helmet. Mm -hmm. So I tried out. It was very physical. I ended up with a black eye and stitches during tryouts, but I made the team. And that was really the beginning, I would say, of a pretty decent playing career, but certainly put me on the path to coaching at a high level. When I played for the U of S Huskies, my nickname was, was uh, Killer Miller, Karen Lostrom. One of my teammates gave me that nickname, and it has stuck ever since then. And because we were the first U of S Huskyette team, it wasn't easy. Uh, not, not all the guys wanted us to be there. Not everybody wanted a women's hockey team. They certainly wanted the men's team. But a lot of the guys on the team were really good. But we did certainly face a little bit of discrimination, and that was the beginning of, of me witnessing that and experiencing that as well. So I continued to play. Uh, when I moved to Calgary, I continued to play hockey, and I became a player coach. And what I realized was I was a better coach than I was a player. And when you see the writing on the wall, you should read the writing and, and take the path. And so I started coaching what you would say full-time in my off time when I wasn't working as a police officer. I coached every single night. And if I wasn't at the rink coaching, I was looking at videos, reading books, uh, and creating my own plays. So I, I continued to play 
a little bit longer as a player coach, but eventually I just retired and, and became a coach. What was really fun um, <clears throat> is three of us got together and decided, you know, there's no girls hockey team in Calgary, not one girls team, because I was playing on adult women's teams. And three of us decided it's time that there's a girls hockey team in a city the size of Calgary. So we got together and we decided we're going to start that first ever girls hockey team. It was called Calgary Minor Hockey in Calgary, and it was called Hockey Alberta in Alberta. There was nothing that said Calgary Boys Minor Hockey or Hockey Alberta for boys, but did we ever face discrimination? We faced sexism at every single turn. They put every roadblock and barrier up uh, to deter us from starting the first ever girls team that they could. They put up all kinds of red tape that we had to cut through and fight through and kick down barriers, and it took us two years for them to approve the first-ever girls' hockey team in Calgary. Now, we only needed 12 players to, to create a team, so we thought, well, that's not going to be that difficult, and I've got a funny story about that. So I'm driving down the road in my police car. I'm a one-person car unit dressed in a uniform. I've got a marked unit squad car, and I see this girl rollerblading, and at this point, we only have 11 players on our team, and we need a 12th player. And this young lady looks like a good athlete. She's the right age, and she's got a great stride on her rollerblades. So I flick my police lights on <laughs> and uh, get on the little speaker and ask her if she would just stop. I just want to talk to her. So she pulls over on her rollerblades. I get out, introduce myself. I tell her about the first-ever girls hockey team, ask her if she'd like to join our team, she was over the moon with excitement. She joined on the spot. I talked to her mother later, and that was how we got our 12th player and started the first ever girls hockey team. And now they have a full-fledged, very strong league in Calgary. That's awesome. But we did face, yeah, but we did face a lot of, of sexism, <clears throat> and it was really disappointing. And that, again, was, that was my first experience with it being so blatant and so difficult and having to fight through so much. But eventually Calgary Minor Hockey came around. Eventually Hockey Alberta came around, and now um, they're very supportive. So <clears throat> after, after starting that first girls team, obviously more teams evolved, um, but we were always playing against boys teams, just so everybody knows. So mm -hmm. we were an all-girls team playing against teams that were all boys teams. So you can kind of imagine the behavior of the boys on the other teams and the coaches that were dads. Mm -hmm. the things that were said during the games and things that were said in the stands, things that were said in the lobby of the rinks to myself, uh, the other coaches and the players. So it was a difficult time, but it was an important time, and it certainly led to great things for myself and for all those girls. One thing I'd like to mention is that when I was a Calgary police officer, um, they were very good with my volunteer work, whether it was with Calgary Girls Minor Hockey, coaching, coaching the minor hockey girls, or whether I was coaching with, I'll get into that, with Team Canada, etc. <clears throat> Obviously, I had to take holiday time, um, but they were, they were just really flexible and really supportive of doing that kind of community service work. So then I was an assistant coach with Team Alberta, I already mentioned, at the 91 Canada Games. We won a gold medal. Next thing you know, I'm on an airplane being interviewed for Team Canada uh, for an assistant coach position that I got, winning two world championship gold medals there. But because we were um, one of the first women's hockey teams, national teams in Canada, Team Canada, there was a lot of bumps along the way. Even within Hockey Canada, uh, we faced a lot of discrimination, a lot of sexism, a lot of homophobia. It was very difficult. And so on the outside looking in, it, it looks like a lot of fun. It looks like it's an amazing accomplishment that you're coaching with Team Canada. You're winning World Championship gold medals. But behind the scenes, it was very, very difficult. Uh, it was a struggle every day for some an ounce of respect. It was a struggle every day to be treated uh, fairly. And certainly we were never treated equitably, but we strived for that. And I know things are a lot better because my friends are in those positions now coaching and administrating, and, and they've come a long way. But in the beginning, when you are a pioneer, as you've mentioned on your show many mm -hmm. times, you face a lot of discrimination with sexism or homophobia or any, any kind of diversity. Um, and you just, and you, even jealousy, as you mentioned earlier in the program. Mm -hmm. So it's never been an easy road. Um, even at the Olympic Oval in Calgary, 
when I started that program at the U of C, I was so excited. Oh, wow, we're going to start the first ever international women's hockey training program, bringing in players from all over the world to train in Calgary. And I had super support from the Olympic Oval people, but there was a lot of uh, outside pressures, barriers, and discriminations from people that didn't want the program to exist. So that was a lot of, uh, yeah, you're planning and you have a vision and you're working nonstop, but you're also fighting a lot of external and internal battles that people don't see. And that's what can really wear you down. But you've got to get your rest and you've got to stay focused and you have to be stronger than what, whatever's coming at you and keep going, and that's the only way to succeed. Yeah, so then no. can you imagine... Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Trina, sorry. No, I was going to say, you're right. You just, it's, you know, sometimes you're just even in survival mode, but also, too, just keeping your eye on the goal. Yeah. Exactly. You go through periods of time where, obviously, you want to be thriving and pushing forward and making strides and gains and protecting the ground that you've gained. There are plenty of times in your career or whatever it is you're going through that you'll be in survival mode where you're actually not pushing forward, uh, you're, you're trying to hold your ground and you're not moving anywhere, but it's important to not get buried and just to survive. Mm-hmm. So here I am. I'm so excited. I'm 33 years old, and Canada names me head coach of the 1998 Winter Olympic team. It's the first time women's hockey is in the Winter Olympics, and I'm so excited to be named the coach. I'm actually not thinking about the fact that I'm only 33, and I'm not thinking about the fact that I'm just a woman. And once I was announced, uh, the media just came out and hammered me. And they hammered me the entire year because I was young, because I was a woman, and they really hammered me because I was gay. At that time, it was okay to be gay with some people, but don't have the courage to be out. Don't have the courage to be authentic and just be who you are. And so I just got ripped to shreds uh, by the media, mostly for being a woman and being gay. And so then when we didn't win the gold medal and we came home with silver, of course, it was even more difficult. And a lot of people say to me, well, what was it like to be the first woman and out woman coaching Canada's Olympic hockey team? And the best analogy I can give you is I felt like I was a deer running through the forest during hunting season. And I was the prime deer, the big buck, the one they wanted. And uh, that was my experience. But I did the best I could with what I had, and we all did. And we are very proud of our Olympic silver medal. Well, thanks for sharing that, Shannon. And uh, we're going to come back from break here, but I am I am excited to hear more. Like, this is, it really is, uh, it is, what you've done is, is amazing. So listeners, we'll be right back, and we'll pick this up after break. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Get motivated. Hear about success stories and positive encouragement. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, 
entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. This is Life Happens. Let's talk. Would you like to join in to today's conversation? We invite you to call in to share your story, ask a question, or add a comment. Please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email to Trina, her email address is trina at trinawines.ca. Now, back to Life Happens. Let's talk. Welcome back to Life Happens, Let's Talk. My name is Trina Wines, and our guest today is Shannon Miller. Uh, so, Shannon, you were talking about the, you know, coming back from the from Team Canada or the Olympics, and uh, what I find generally is that <clears throat> people that aren't normally um, like, well, I'm going to say women, because I don't want to sound like a feminist, because I'm not. It's just that. I mean, the, the fact is, is that if a woman is entering into a male-dominated profession, profession, there's going to be some discrimination, and they're going to have to face harassment, and and, that. and even though, I mean, it's not right, and this is what we're talking about, but um, you were really ha- put in a position as you're moving up the ranks, like you had to keep proving yourself to everyone, so there was so much pressure. So if you can, you know, continue on about what you were talking about when we, before break, yeah, absolutely. So we left off um, with me coaching the 90s Olympic team, coming back from the Olympic Games. Um, so then I got an opportunity to move to the United States and be a full-time professional coach. So I had to retire from the police department, and that was difficult because, like I said earlier, they had really supported uh, me as a police officer, as a human being, and as a community member serving the community as a volunteer coach, and they were very supportive of that. And so that was difficult to hand in your badge and your gun and give up sort of that, what they called brotherhood back in those days. So I moved to the United States. Um, once I got there, I was really excited, even though I had to leave my family and friends behind and, and the Olympic Oval program. I was like, okay, I'm in the U.S., there's college hockey, you get paid good money down here in the States to coach, and you coach full-time. Pretty interesting world I'm, I'm entering into. I'm pretty fired up. I was lucky I had a good athletic director, Bob Korn, who had recruited me, fantastic chancellor of the, uni- of the university, Catherine Martin, a uh, female chancellor that was a real champion uh, of athletics and certainly for women as well. And so we get off to a great start. I built the first ever women's college hockey international program. There had been women's college hockey programs for years and years and years. Uh, but no one had built a real international program, so I did that right out of the gate. Had a lot of success, um, faced a lot of criticism, faced a lot of jealousy uh, with the other coaches from across the country. And even some of the people in the other countries, because we were taking their players, we were recruiting their players to come from Finland and Sweden and Germany and Switzerland and Russia and Canada uh, to come to the U.S. to play women's college hockey, receive a, a scholarship, and be in that environment. And just so you know, for, for female athletes, there was no bigger honor. There was no higher level stage to play on other than the Olympic year that came once every four years than U.S. women's college hockey. That was the most competitive environment and the highest stage to play on from year to year. So it was a real honor to be in there as a coach and certainly for the athletes that we were recruiting. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, I was the winningest coach and actually still am holding the most NCAA titles of any coach, men's or women's, in college hockey, winning five in those 14 years. But when you win, again, when people are on the outside looking in, people think you have everything you need and it's very rosy. While I had a supportive athletic director and chancellor of the university, I still faced a lot of discrimination within our athletic department and when I faced our opponents, the the teams and coaches I had to compete against. A lot of sexism, a lot of homophobia, and a lot of xenophobia. 
And not everybody knows what that means, and that simply means you have a bias or hatred towards people from other countries. And so I had a lot of criticism thrown at me by some people in the community of Duluth, some people I worked with in the athletic department, and, and other coaches about the players I was bringing in from other countries. But if you actually were aware of what was going on across U.S. college athletics and tennis, track, basketball, and other sports, all of these colleges were bringing in athletes from other countries. I wasn't the first to do it in college athletics. I was the first to do it in women's college hockey. And so over time that subsided and we won so much that people started doing what I was doing. They started copying my model and they too had success doing it. But those first years uh, were very difficult. Everybody hated me. Everybody hated our program. And you were constantly (laughs) ducking from rocks being thrown at you in your own athletic department as well as outside against your opponents. So again, those internal struggles, those external struggles, and things that a lot of people from the outside just would never think of because they see you and you're winning, and they think everything must be great and you must be getting everything that you need. And there's people, but there's people out there that do not want you to be successful and are doing everything they can in order for you to, to be successful. Oh, and they're doing everything they can, whether it's someone in the media that's not a fan, your opponents that you're working against, or people in your own athletic department or community. Yes, they will do anything to stop you, whether it's the most silly things like starting just horrible rumors about you or your program to really blatant, hostile uh, discrimination that we can get into a little bit more as well. Um, just so you know, we haven't gotten to this yet, but I'll, I'll get to it now. Is So I've told you how successful I was and how successful our program was. Well, in December of 2014, I was fired. My whole coaching staff was fired. We were all female, three women, very successful. We were all from Canada. We had all been part of Team Canada, myself as a coach and the other two as players. And we were all openly gay. But here's what's interesting. We were winning. So December 2014, it was mid-season. We were ranked sixth in the country out of 34 teams, which means we're in NCAA play. We're in position to make an NCAA championship run and be in postseason play. We had just won 12 out of our last 13 games. We had this amazing team. We had this amazing rhythm. We really cared about each other. We were having fun. And it was just this really strong rhythm. And as one of my players stated best when she spoke at at a public event after we were fired, she said we were this Jeep that was just humming along. And we'd go into the ditch, we'd pull ourselves out of the ditch. We'd go in the high roads, we'd go in the muddy roads. We got dirty, we got banged up, but we were happy, we were having fun, we were winning, and then we got hit by a bus. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was an excellent analogy because that's how I felt when they called me in and told me that they were firing me and my two assistant coaches in the middle of our season while we were winning. And right, and you know, like and I said to this day, I'm no one has won as many national championships as I have. And so uh, and also too, but as I'm thinking as a, a leader too, Shannon, like you're to me, like I see you as a leader, you know, a trailblazer yeah. and a leader. Leader, but your firing didn't only affect you, but it also greatly affected you know, others, and that must have felt horrible for you as a leader. It was horrible because when you are the leader as the head coach, um, you're a mentor. Mm-hmm. You're going to lead through good times and bad. But they, they look up to you. They love you. You are the strong one. You are the one that can persevere through anything. And when this happened to us in the middle of our season, and it was right before final exams for our female student-athletes, oh, right God. before final exams, yeah. exams, it took everything out of me. I went into shock. Um, obviously, I was heartbroken. I felt like somebody stuck a knife in my back and pushed me off a moving train. And like my player said, she, like she said, it felt our team felt like we were this Jeep humming along and we got hit by a bus. It is hard to recover from that in the middle of your season. And they did it because we were winning. They did it because we were having fun. They did it because we were on an NCAA championship run, and that's the only way they could stop us. He obviously didn't want to renew my contract for reasons that I believe are discriminatory. 
And he he knew we were good. I had a very young team, and he knew we were going to get better. I had actually told him that that we were we would peak in the second half of the season. We'll just get better and better. And I told him I felt we had a chance to win a national championship that year. And so he did it just to stop us. Um, so we had to limp through the rest of the season. Now he gave us a choice. We all three of us could have quit coaching right then and there and been paid till June. But we talked. Uh, once I had to deliver the news to my assistant coaches, and we said, no, we're here for the players. That's why we coach. We are their mentors, and we will stay and coach till the season's over, even though this is going to be an absolute nightmare for us, for all of us. We will do our best to hold them up and get them to the finish line. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did, but it was an extremely hostile environment. <clears throat> I, within days, uh, had my own press conference and stated that I would be suing the university for discrimination. Uh, it was a story that was picked up by the New York Times, the Boston Globe, uh, National Public Radio. It went across the country. Canada's major papers picked it up as well. And they were facing University of Minnesota Duluth and University of Minnesota, was the bigger school that we, the umbrella that we're under, were facing intense uh, media and public scrutiny over this. And so... We did finish the season. Sadly, um, we, were, we, we didn't make NCAA play, but I think people can understand how instead of getting better for the course of the season, we, we limped through and did the best we could. But we still did well. We were ranked seventh in the country, and the NCAA could have selected us to be in the top eight for NCAA postseason play, but they didn't. And I believe that they didn't because we had all been fired and it was, it was a media storm. So... What happened after I went public? Well, it actually happened before, too. I, I was working in a really hostile environment, uh, sexism and homophobia and xenophobia within the athletic department with this new athletic director and new chancellor of the university. Uh, but when I came forward and said, I'm going to sue the university and had to work from that December until the end of June, they withheld sticks from my players. They withheld skates from my players. They did everything they possibly could to make our lives miserable. Uh, and prior to that, they refused to give me a new contract, even though I was in the last year of my contract, and we couldn't recruit. So we lost some really good players that would have been joining our program um, because I didn't have a contract. It went public in the spring of 2014, so they didn't fire me till December 2014, but the rumors started in the spring. To my face, he said, oh, no. He's like, you've made your staff change you needed to make. You've made your player changes. I've got your back. I've told you that. I'm a supporter of yours. I've got your back. This is a new athletic director. Um, he just said, just get out there and win, which we did. Uh, but the whole time, I didn't have a contract, and so we couldn't recruit. He told me that he was going to market the hell out of our program, that we didn't have the staff we needed. We didn't have the resource we needed. We didn't have the marketing we deserved, but he was going to give us all of that. He was going to get that for us. But to my face, he was supportive, uh, even though he wouldn't give me a contract, and he cut our recruiting budget. I found out that he tried to cut our marketing program, literally, after he told me he was going to market the hell out of our program. He tried to cut our marketing person that was part-time. So I started to see it add up behind my back and behind the scenes, but to my face, he was saying all the right things to keep me happy and keep me, I guess, from pushing back. And that's why I got so blindsided when they called me in on December 9th and fired me. Okay, so Shannon, we're going to go into break. And then we're going to talk about what that looked like after your firing. So listeners, hang on and uh, we'll be back with Shannon. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to share success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Hear about personal growth, building a better business, inspirational life stories, and personal branding. You'll find it every day at voiceamericaempowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. This is Life Happens. Let's talk. Would you like to join into today's conversation? We invite you to call in to share your story, ask a question, or add a comment. Please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email to Trina, her email address is trina at trinawines.ca. Now, back to Life Happens. Let's talk. Welcome back to Life Happens. Let's talk. My name is Trina Wines, and our guest today is Shannon Miller. So, Shannon, um, sorry to interrupt you there, but... uh, the yeah when I heard when you were talking about how you were told one thing which seemed really good and positive but then really behind your back something else was happening and uh, to me you know it was almost a, a setup for you and really um, you were in the end ambushed so it, I'll, please continue yeah ambush is a good word Trina thank you for that yeah, so imagine the shock. Um, I have your back. I have your back. And all the texts he sent me about congratulations on winning. You're having a great season. I have all of this evidence. And then all of a sudden they fire you. So now you know I went into shock. You know why there's three of us suing the university. I mean, it's rather obvious. And uh, just uh, the last thing I wanted to say was after I announced I was going to sue and had to coach the rest of the year, the athletic director went around behind my back, undermining my authority, talking to my players, talking to the parents of my players, and just trying to destroy the great season that we were having. So it was a, a really horrible environment to have to finish my coaching career at that stage in, and I hope my coaching career is not over. But we are suing the university. Uh, it's been a long time coming, but the federal judge just announced that my trial is set for the week of March 5th and March 12th in Duluth, Minnesota. So that's a big victory for us, the judge announcing there is enough evidence to proceed with trial. So uh, it takes a lot of courage to fight injustice and discrimination, but we're doing it. It's been three long years waiting for a trial date, and we've got it. That is fantastic news. I mean, really, you... What you in the end, at the very end, when when uh, after the firing, I mean, you were faced with a lot of malicious behavior, and I can't even imagine what it would like, what it would be like day to day to have to deal with that. So yeah, it, I, I, it, it would have been absolutely, and uh, so, and it, now, like really, when you think about it, um, you're taking on kind of the the big boys, and I I don't mean to say it that way, but I don't, I mean, that's just the way I see it, really. I mean, when you think about the power imbalance, you know, here, somebody had, you know, all the power and the control, and, you know, was hiding really what the intent was, you thinking it was totally something else, and uh, here you are today. So, uh, going to court, I mean, uh, I wish you all the luck, and for it to go to trial, it was announced that it's going to trial, that, I mean, that's exciting news for sure. So yeah. because of all that you've experienced and, and, I mean, over the years, can you give us some, a few lessons that you've learned? I mean, I'm sh- I know you still, still have some fights, but what you have learned so far. Yeah, I've, I've got a couple nuggets here. Um, what we all need to realize when we're going through things like this is, is that we're not the only ones facing injustice and discrimination. But if we are lucky enough to be the one or be one of the strong ones that can summons up the courage to fight, 
then we must, and we must recognize that we are fighting for many. So I am fighting for myself and the other female coaches that were fight, fighting, but I've certainly learned through the course of this journey that I'm fighting for many. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the second little piece of uh, advice I'd like to give everyone listening is never be ashamed of a scar. It simply means you were stronger than whatever tried to hurt you. Fight the fight, yeah. take the scars, and win. Right, because when you probably look at those scars, I mean, they're reminders where you used to be and where yeah. you are today. Yeah. Yeah, and I have many of them, but they propel you to your next path, your next journey. Each is important, and uh, I'm going to continue to be a pioneer and continue to fight. And obviously, this court case is huge for, for women and for women's athletics because it's a fight against discrimination, and it's a fight for equal pay and equality. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's huge. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, it's you that is faced with that. But quite honestly, I don't uh, think there was there'd be anybody else that would be uh, better suited in that position than you. So I want to thank you for all that you've done. Uh, You know, because of you, there's been many great leaps forward. But of course, like what you're saying is that there's still lots of work that needs to be done. So yeah. I, I wish you luck on your, on your next journey. And I certainly will be following the media on, uh, you know, what's uh, when it comes to trial. And uh, yeah, I'll definitely be following that closely. So I want to thank you very, very much, Shannon, for, for being here today and telling your story. Uh, because what it does is that it'll inspire others to keep fighting whatever fights that they, you know, are fighting today. So, um, yeah. and, thank and also you, you, Trina, for shining a light on all of these very important issues. And to your listeners, keep up the fight and let's all stick together and fight injustice and discrimination and have a great day. All right. Well, thank you. Well, one thing before we close, I want to say you, you are, okay, so you live in Vegas and you have a business in California. Like we have one minute. Can you tell us a little bit about your business? Sure. I have, a, I have a place in uh, Palm Springs, California, and I started this little fun business called the Sunny Cycle. You pedal on this machine that heads down the street, and you have a cocktail, and you're listening to music, and you're basically socializing, enjoying the outdoors, and you're touring around downtown Palm Springs and seeing the homes of movie stars, etc. And I also, I primarily live in Las Vegas, so I'm not, I am running the business, but I have other people working at the business most of the time. I live in Vegas primarily, have a place in Palm Springs, California, running the business and trying to have a little bit of fun and make a little bit of money to get myself through this lawsuit and to my next coaching job. Okay, well, that sounds like a very fun business. And and husband, if you're listening, it sounds like we've got our next trip booked. So, <laughs> Yeah, so, Palm Springs, the sunny cycle. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so thanks, Shannon. And listeners, uh, thank you for tuning in today. Uh, May you have a wonderful day and the rest of the week. And please do something today that will make a difference in your tomorrow. And remember, this show is on podcast. So please share and share and share and share. So thank you for listening to Life Happens, Let's Talk. And goodbye for now. Thank you for joining us this week for Life Happens, Let's Talk. Please join Trina Wines again next Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We've made this week just a bit easier. How about coming back next week? We'll see you right here.